the pandemic just won't stop, the surge continues to overwhelm, and that will be our main topic today on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with my colleague Jane Cahoon, and back from a little time off, Chris Wernowski. Good to hear you back, and I hope you had a happy birthday. I did. Thank you. All right, let's get going. We got a lot to talk about. What do health officials want people to do in the stay-at-home advisory they issued for Cuyahoga County Wednesday? And I'm going to go to Chris Wernowski with that. Let's just go, Chris. (laughs) Um, Well, we're supposed to stay at home now. Uh, (laughs) Cuyahoga County uh, Executive Armin Budish and Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson held a a joint press conference yesterday and basically said they're they're going to implement a stay-at-home order advisory uh, when, uh, beginning yesterday in a bid to slow the coronavirus. Um, the advisory, which was incorporated by the Board of Health in a resolution approved Wednesday morning, lasts through December 17th, and it recommends businesses close offices and schools, switch to virtual learning after Thanksgiving, and it urges people not to travel, um, but it has no enforcement measures. Jackson said he will incorporate the advisory into a civil emergency proclamation beginning Wednesday evening and extending to the year's end. And, you know, I mean, this is, it, you could tell just by the tone of their conversation yesterday with the public that that things are getting pretty dire. But, you know, on top of that, you're starting to still see A lot of deaths in nursing homes, you know, schools are in this weird position now where they have to decide whether they're going to be coming back after Thanksgiving break. And, you know, then the governor was here saying that the Northeast Ohio region is literally on fire, which Which it's not literally, but, but, but it, but we are really seeing a a significant amount of spread of the virus. All right. So, so so let's start with the the school issue. I mean, let's point out when this all started back in March and these advisories and orders went out. We had very little knowledge about how to protect ourselves from Mm -hmm. this thing. It was new. It was scary. And everybody was worried. You know, eight months later, we we have a much better feel for this thing and what we need to do to avoid it. And and everybody is feeling a little more certain of, of the proper procedures. And school officials know that when kids stay at home, it's much harder to teach them. That's why as much as possible, they want them in the classroom. There has been, though... A lot of discussion about Thanksgiving as being this dangerous milestone because we we had a story yesterday. Lots of people are ignoring mm-hmm. the, the recommendations. They're going to have Thanksgiving gatherings and that will spread the virus. And so I think some school districts already were talking about maybe we should keep kids virtual through the end of the year and for a little while after Christmas when people will misbehave, too. But but it's hard to tell because we. We called the districts yesterday to say, what are you doing? And I, I think Shaker Heights was the one certain. Oh, no. Well, Shaker Heights said, yes, we're closing. Rocky River said, we're not. Solon said, we're not telling you today. My wife is a teacher in Solon. <laughs> um, so, so it's interesting that whereas school districts last spring immediately adhered to what the county health officials said, They're not so much now. Why do we think that is? Maybe they don't want to rattle parents right now ahead of the holidays before they make this decision. But I I just that doesn't seem to make any sense because, you know, you got to give people the opportunity to plan for what they're going to do when their kids are sitting at home again. And I, I think this belies, you know, a bigger issue, which is, again, we have largely avoided since, you know, March any type of of statewide recommendation. You know, I, 
I think what ha- what happens is, is if you have like one school closing and then a school three miles away isn't closing, you're you're creating you're creating just this like another another uneven patchwork of enforcement and 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 closure and 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 it, it just it doesn't make any sense. It, it well, you you, you, know, you, it, you raise a good point, right? The, the governor has right. not made these orders. Jane Cahoon, he was in Cleveland yesterday, as Chris mentioned, saying we're literally on fire. Uh, but we did get <laughs> catch up with him about the order in in Cuyahoga County, and we should point out Franklin County has it too. Even though he's not making these decisions, what did he have to say? He said he's supportive of this. He thinks they're they're doing the right thing. And uh, there's also one in Montgomery County in the Dayton area. And as you said, in in Columbus. So he is supportive. I think he thinks it complements the curfew that takes effect today, the statewide curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. overnight. Of course, that doesn't affect things like schools and and so forth. But I but he was supportive. Uh, Chris, let me ask you a question you can't possibly have the answer to, but you might enjoy <laughs> taking it. Is there a chance the school districts and the other institutions we'll talk about in a minute are not racing to follow this advice because the county health board, because of its lack of transparency and its stumbling over the last eight months, has lost credibility? I mean, it's possible. I, I can't speak for every single school board member and every superintendent in every district in Northeast Ohio because there's a lot of them. Um, but I, you know, I think any, any situation where you have a, a, a lack of transparency and decision-making sort of taking, taking place outside of the sunlight a little bit, uh, that doesn't sort of help other elected officials and other, other, uh, you know, executives of school districts make, make decisions, uh, that impact students. All right. So the school districts have a very legitimate argument for trying to find a way to stay open because the education of the students is much better if they can. And so they're, they're weighing this with legitimate reasons, but then you get to the cultural institutions, the art museum, the rock and roll hall of fame and other attractions like that. Do they have any similar kind of argument or should they just shut down? I mean, they should shut down. Like we're getting to a point where it's, it's, it's very hard to, I mean, as hard as people have been trying to ignore reality, re- I mean, reality is here, you know, I mean, we're, we're having, you know, we're having these discussions that we were talking about back in the spring when we were, we were all sort of learning and reading about the 1918 pandemic and we go, oh, well, look, the, the winter's probably going to be pretty bad. And we're like, well, we can get it under control. And, you know, and, and the minute we started letting businesses open up, everybody thought, well, you know, every, the worst is over and, and, you know, now we're heading into the winter that we expected that was going to be bad and we're being told it's going to be bad. And, you know, and now we're hemming and hawing over whether we should go to school. And I think reality, I think science, I think most evidence shows that, that this is probably not going to be a good idea. Let me go put ahead. another let me put another element on the table. You know, DeWine last week had threatened to close down restaurants, bars and gyms and then heard a lot of complaints from restaurants, bars and gyms and they came out with their their unusual curfew to curb behavior that we, we don't see. But but the upshot was I saw somebody from the restaurant industry on social media saying, okay, so they didn't close down restaurants and bars. We were open last night. Nobody came in. Nobody ordered anything. Nobody got any tips. So we are in effect closed, but we don't get unemployment. We don't get any help. 
would it have made more sense to actually close them down and subsidize them? Because the people are hurting worse than they would have been well, if they were unemployed. I think the answer to that question is a resounding yes, but that's a question we should have answered back in March. You know, And, and where that, is Congress on this? They, right. They're and, and, so dithering. Yeah, I mean, we're 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 seeing, you know, I mean, look, I'm I'm glad we're we're still approving federal judges, but we still don't have any type of stimulus plan <laughs> whatsoever. We're are in you a, Sherrod Brown or what? Well, <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it is it is kind of obscene. I think you know we're 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 at a point now where you know, and I know I know fiscal conservatives hate to hear this, but it, you know, the time to shut down. And subsidize businesses to stay closed so they can be whole when they reopen when this is and when we come out on the other side of look, we can see the end. We can kind of see the end of it because in we April, these right. two very promising things. So you can you can budget now. You can say, okay, we're gonna extend this to workers, not just employers, you know, because you can't you can't leave it on employers to do good by their employees. We just we know that won't happen in some cases. So you need to make both employers and employees whole and let them stay home. Then the question is, do we need to keep schools up? No, because parents are at home. They can have childcare subs. I mean, there's right. so much that we could do if we just, if we did, if we had done the right thing to begin with, which, you know, hemming and hawing about March is, is not, you know, I mean, we need to deal with the problem we have now. And it's, it's got really to close it down, Chris. We're running out of time for the segment. It's <laughs> this right. week in the CLE. We've been dealing with the pandemic for most of the year, but to get an idea of the recent surge, what percentage of known cases in Ohio were confirmed just this month? And did Halloween have something to do with this big leap? Jane Cahoon, this is a staggering statistic. Lay it on us. It was really astonishing. Rich Exner analyzed the data and found that nearly one third of all known coronavirus cases to date in Ohio were confirmed just this month. So we closed out October with a cumulative total of 215,697 cases. That's for the whole year. But by Tuesday, that number was up to 312,433. That's an increase of over 96,000 cases, which is 31% of the total to date. And that was just, you know, for the first 17 days of, of this month. Right. right. So we're, we're like eight months into this thing. And we basically have a third of our cases in a little more than the last unbelievable. two weeks. Unbelievable! It's unbelievable. And uh, five counties, including Lake County up here, you know, more than half of this year year's cases were reported this month. So you know, why, do you know, I, before you move on, what, why do we think that's happening in Lake County? I've been getting questions from people asking, and I was, you know, I know it's heavy in retail, and I know it's heavy in fast food restaurants. Is it is it people just letting their guard down and going to all the stores and restaurants and mentor? I why would yeah. all of a sudden Lake County of all places? Yeah, I wish I had the answer to that. I I just I don't I don't know. But uh, Rich has a, a chart and a map with his story, and you can look at the percentages for each county. I mean, they're they're bad in almost every county as far as the the percent of cases that that uh, got reported in November. Um, I should note that, you know, the story was based on data as of Tuesday. And from Wednesday, we still don't have complete figures from the Ohio Department of Health uh, for, for Wednesday's case numbers, because not only because of a system error, but they said that 
thousands of cases are still awaiting confirmation because local health departments are so overwhelmed and workers are getting sick, including, you know, with COVID-19. So that's uh, another factor here. I think they reported maybe over 6,000 cases, but they made it clear that that's incomplete. Now, you know, today's the day where we're supposed to get the new alert map and the and the school figures, you know, who knows, like, whether they're going to be equipped to give us that data today. Um, it's frightening, know. though, that, yeah. that both the, the city of Cleveland and the state health departments have been so overwhelmed by the number of cases that they can't count them. I yeah, think that, I mean, that is, I mean, we're, you know, we're getting into Italy territory from when they got, <laughs> when they first got this thing. I mean, if the numbers coming into them are so overwhelming, won't the numbers hitting the hospitals soon be overwhelming? And if it's overwhelming, we're in big trouble. Are they, yeah. are they, are they using the same system that they did for unemployment back in the spring? Oh, is that, that, is that uh, why we're, we're not counting properly? No, yeah, we suggested right. yesterday they ran out of fingers and toes because, you know, they're not the <laughs> most advanced technologically as we've learned about their contact tracing. Well, what about the Halloween issue, Jane? Did, did yeah. people do a lot of stupid stuff on Halloween? Well, you know, as usual, we don't have hard data on this because it's Ohio, right? But uh, Dr. Carla O'Day, the medical director for the emergency department at St. Vincent Charity, uh, she appeared with Governor Mike DeWine when he was in, in Cleveland on Wednesday and said that anecdotal evidence suggests that Halloween may be partly to blame for this recent spike. She said a lot of people have been infected because they attended Halloween parties, which is something Everybody was warning specifically against, you know, they had all these safe ways to maybe conduct trick or treat. Uh, but, you know, they said, don't do Halloween parties. Well, I guess a, a lot of people did. So I think this is another reason that they're particularly worried about Thanksgiving coming up, because we're going to have those gatherings again and people are just going to ignore the warnings. Let me ask you, were those Halloween parties between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m.? <laughs> I'll bet not. Actually, I would bet no. I would bet some of them were. If they With somebody were. out enforcing shutdowns, I'm guessing yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You're listening to this week in the CLE. At the beginning of the pandemic, plenty of people predicted we'd see a wave of foreclosures. Chris Ranowski, Eric Isaac went out to check. Have we? Not as much as we thought we were going to have at the beginning. I I think what. What Eric discovered was a couple of things that one, it does take time for um, foreclosures to really be seen. If if you if you own a home or, or if you, if you've been in financial trouble and you've had a home, you realize that that a, a bank will work with you pretty significantly to try to to make sure that they don't have to take over your house. But there there becomes a drop dead point at like fifteen to eighteen months and. And, and so you really, you do get a lot of leeway when you own a house. Um, so I think a lot of the housing advocates that he spoke to and the people that he spoke to for the story have said that, that the issue probably won't materialize significantly until next year. Uh, especially if the, if the pandemic continues and we continue to see, you know, these occasional shutdowns and, and, and waves of layoffs related to, to it, the, the way that we did back in the spring. So, um, so, so right now I think we, we look good. We had a, we had a round of stimulus that I think probably helped a lot of people. Um, we had some additional financial assistance for people who, um, were getting unemployment, which I think helped people. And, um, but we will hit like a critical moment, I think next year, 
um, probably around the middle of the year toward the fall of the year where, where people probably start to see, uh, where we start to see that number go up. Uh, um, if, if things continue down this road now that this, you know, but, but, but Chris, Joe Biden's coming in and Mitch McConnell wants to work with them. There'll be a stimulus package, right? <laughs> oh man. You almost made me spit out my coffee. Um, that, <laughs> um, who knows? I mean, they had the opportunity to put some stimulus in, into people's pockets before the holidays, but you know, Lord knows that they probably won't do that. Um, I would like to be wrong about that, but again, you know, it, we're, we're in this position now where, you know, you have not only people who own their own homes, but people who own rental properties. And, and so, you know, we, we've struggled, you know, we've, we've had a lot of money pumped into rental assistance, but, you know, we, we haven't sort of started to see the, the mass evictions, uh, from the rental perspective that, that, uh, people have been experiencing as well. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the next few months are going to be really critical, uh, when it comes to this issue of housing and, you know, hopefully, you know, we hit this, this mark of, of getting this, uh, this, this vaccine in, in, in the spring and, and, you know, we can get the, the economy back full force, but, you know, we're, we're in for a dicey few months. And, you know, if, if things continue to go downward, then I, I think you're going to start to see people losing their homes at a much greater pace. Okay. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Are we expecting any surprises and shenanigans from the lame duck session of the Ohio legislature this year? Jane Coon, I'm kind of surprised I'm posing this as a question because, <laughs> oh, of course we are. What, what, what shenanigans are we expecting? Yes, in fact, we've already seen some. Uh, I'm going to need some time for this one, okay? So they they started up the lame duck this week, and Jeremy Pelzer's been running around like crazy trying to keep up with them. He had a preview story on it, and, and then he covered quite a busy session on, on Wednesday. So uh, two big things that they need to deal with between now and the end of the year, repealing and possibly finding a replacement for House Bill 6, that nuclear bailout bill that's been tainted by the federal corruption investigation, and finding a long-awaited fix for school funding, which is a pet issue of House Speaker Bob Cup. So you got to believe there's going to be some action on that. But they haven't acted on either of those two things. They also have some significant issues that they could be tackling, a possible capital bill to help revive the economy, and a criminal justice reform bill that they haven't um, taken final action on that would downgrade some of the penalties for things like low-level drug offenses and so forth. But then on Wednesday, uh, they did already act, anyway, the Senate did, on the school voucher program that was all unresolved. So that it still needs to clear a House vote before heading to Governor White, Mike DeWine. But this is the bill that aims to head off this unintentional increase in the number of public schools where vouchers are available. So they so they did pass uh, a measure on that. Um now, so they're doing we, some good stuff. I mean, if they if they fix out HB six, that's a good thing. Yeah, we yeah. hope. And and by fixing the the voucher, that that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, what always scares me about this session, though, is they the people who tack those little amendments on to the back of bills. Yeah, we're we're going to see. Yeah, we're going to see what they call a Christmas tree bill at some point where they have lots of ornaments dangling from it. But we, we, you know, we another big issue in Ohio now, duh, is the coronavirus. And they do have some bills on that. However, most of them are pushing back on DeWine's restrictions and trying to undo things he's done to try to fight 
the virus. So, for example, on, on Wednesday, the House passed a bill called the Business Fairness Act that would allow businesses that would otherwise might be closed under a coronavirus order to remain open as long as they obey the same rules that essential businesses have to follow. Uh, DeWine's expected to veto that one. And then the Senate passed legislation to override a state health order from DeWine's administration that banned most county fair activities because of the crisis. So, you know, I'm sure the fair boards are already looking ahead to next year's fairs. And so uh, I guess they wanted to protect them and say, no, you can you can open. And then they also want to um, they haven't acted on these things yet, but they, they want to limit DeWine's power to issue quarantines and do contact tracing. And they want to roll back his order, his recent order that prohibited alcohol from being served in restaurants and bars after after 10 p.m. So, you know, <laughs> there's there's all kinds of things related to that, but they're not maybe what you might expect out of the legislature. But, or maybe you would. Is there a chance they'll pass something prohibiting John Houston from having a big family gathering for Thanksgiving? <laughs> I mean, we have a headline on our on our website saying, don't listen to John Houston. Health officials say you should stay home. He's bringing people together to eat outside and sit at separate tables. Summit County just yeah. issued their stay-at-home advisory. So so I don't know. Yeah, Could they pass a bill guys. and say, John yeah. Houston, you can't do that. Be, lead by example. No chance. There are more. There are probably more. <laughs> Uh, lawmakers who feel that we shouldn't be interfering with our patriotic right to celebrate Thanksgiving. And that's all I'll say about that. But um, anyway, on to another one of their favorite issues, guns. As we know, DeWine keeps pushing. He keeps talking about uh, about tragedies during during his briefings and why they need to pass his package of gun reforms. Well, that ain't happening. In fact, they're they're considering things like, um, well, actually, they, they just passed one uh, in the Senate on Wednesday that allows teachers and other school personnel to carry firearms on school grounds without needing prior peace officer training or experience. And they, they've also got things on the horizon, like allowing concealed handguns on college campuses, places of worship and state property, making it more difficult to prosecute somebody who provides a firearm to somebody who's intoxicated or banned from having a gun. And then there's a new stand your ground bill in the Senate that would expand the instances in which someone who uses force in self-defense has no duty to retreat. So, you know, who knows what the else they have up their sleeves, but uh, you know, those are just a Can I just add that that, that might be the best case for distance learning that I've ever heard. <laughs> what the teacher thing the, yeah, don't, yeah don't don't harm teachers please yeah please yeah. arm them with you know school supplies but you know <laughs> jesus i i mean come on it's amazing that that this is a priority in the middle of a a deadly pandemic that is ruining our economy but okay but that's that's what these guys do in the in the lame duck it's and it, and there's always something we miss and catch up with like Two months from now, that they slip in. I mean, they've really played dirty. I, mean, I, in this I thought the NRA was like broke and corrupted openly. So, like, who is who is funding this now? Like, who who is backing? Is it is it the Buckeye Firearms? I mean, who who is heavily lobbying for this now? Like, who, who I, I just like it just seems such like a misplaced opportunity to do something useful. And wow, what a what a waste of time! It's the lame duck. They want to get it done. They don't want to be. They want no accountability, and so that's why it waits till now. Yeah. 
You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Why is the city of Hudson keeping secret the name of the driver who ran into and killed a seven-year-old on a bicycle nearly two weeks ago? Doesn't that violate the public records law? Who are the police protecting? Chris Ranowski, this is an outrage. Hudson is is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. What's going on? Well, as it, it this does happen from time to time when uh, you're dealing with the police departments and public records. They they get a little selective in what they decide that they can release to the public when it comes to information about crimes. So as of as of uh, Tuesday, this was the last reporting we did on this, and I think it still holds true till today. Um, the the city has basically told us that the accident report was not available, citing the ongoing investigation by uh, Hudson Police and the Summit County Metro Crash Unit, and they have they have not responded to any follow up messages, which we have noted. The public records law dictates that routine documents such as accident reports should be made public upon request. So automatically, automatic. in every case, every court that's ever considered it has said you have to give it up. Hudson Even is playing games. Is pending. That's an important thing to note that you cannot. You cannot cite an ongoing investigation in denying the release of of, of very public paperwork. So it makes uh, you wonder: was it like the mayor's wife or somebody that was driving? Why are they keeping it secret? This no police department keeps this stuff secret. They give it up right away because they know we'll go to court and they'll have to pay our fees. I'm going to have to get on the phone with lawyers today to to go pound on them. And you just wonder: what are they doing? Who are they protecting? It's, I don't know. I mean, I've noticed this, this is anecdotal, but in, in my time, it, it, you know, in my long career of being a police reporter and a court reporter, you know, it, well-to-do suburbs are often a little more difficult to deal with, you know, and, and even down at the street level, when you go door to door to knock, you know, when you go into nicer neighborhoods, people are less likely to gossip and talk about their neighbors. So, you know, I mean, we have a very, very big network of police departments and sheriff's departments and, and, you know, uh, in Northeast Ohio, I mean, we have 50 some in Cuyahoga County alone and and some of them don't, you know, get a phone call from the media every day and they don't understand how, you know, they're supposed to re- respond to this stuff. But, you know, and, and you you do give them a little bit of leeway and, and and and, you know, you explain to them like this is the law. This is we know this. We, I mean, we're calling police stations every single day asking for this kind of paperwork. And so, right. you know, but, but, but there comes a point where you go, okay, now, now you're, you're, you're doing something sort of willfully to keep this from the public. And, and, you know, and now we have to ratchet up the pressure a little bit. Right. And when we get it, it will put a spotlight on it. Whoever they're trying to protect will get the glare of the spotlight. So it'll work against them. It's a shameful way to operate a police department. You're listening to this week in the CLE. How many school districts in Ohio will participate in a study on how the coronavirus spreads in classrooms and how will the study be performed? Jane Cahoon, we talk all the time that we'd love to know how this virus is spreading and nobody is actually checking. So when this one popped up yesterday, I was like, wow, somebody's actually trying to get real data on how the virus is spreading in Ohio. Of course, it's probably not spreading that quickly in schools, we've heard, so it won't be that useful. But at least it's something. What are they doing? Yeah, it's something. I, I think the uh, Governor Mike DeWine, you know, said a long time ago they were going to try to do something like this. So lo and behold, they are doing this. They chose 10 districts, none in Northeast Ohio. They're going to use rapid tests to determine how the virus might be spreading in schools and to help them with, with future decisions about social distancing and, and quarantining. They want to see if the virus spreads 
even if kids are wearing masks properly, if they've had like a close contact with someone else at school who has the virus. So uh, I'm not sure I fully understand this, but during this study, school is going to continue as normal. But let's say the family of a child who was in close contact with with a confirmed case, if they opt into this program, that child can stay in school as long as the kids are wearing masks properly. And then they're going to test that child twice a week with a nose swab and the the child can ride the bus, but won't be able to participate in extracurriculars and is going to be sent home if they develop any symptoms. So, and then they're choosing some other students for the program who are going to be tested once a week with, with family consent and, and high schools, high schoolers are going to fill out surveys about their activities and parents and guardians of, of the smaller kids they're also going to fill out surveys. And um, so these districts, just so you know, are Ashland, Athens, Champaign, Lakota, Marysville, Mason, Napoleon, Princeton, Troy, and Whitehall. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Chris, it's good to have you back. Thanks, Jane. Thanks to everybody for listening to This Week in the CLE. We'll be back on Friday to wrap up the week of news. Mm-hmm.